Amen. Awesome. Guys, hey, as you're sitting down, turn to one person next to you. Tell them your name. And if you know it, what your name means or where it comes from. Sweet. All right, go ahead and have a seat. I, hopefully you got to maybe meet someone for the first time that you hadn't met before. But can we all agree, like, names are really important. You know how rough it would be if we all kind of just called each other, hey, how's it going? Right? That would just be weird. Names are really helpful things. And I work hard to remember people's names because, man, when you're walking to class or walking to, to something and all of a sudden out of nowhere somebody says, hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm like... Hey, my name just got a little bit better because somebody recognized me, knew who I was. Uh, last week, this really came to light because uh, last week I did something insane. I ran the Grand Rapids Marathon. It's just crazy. I, it's, it's the system that said I was like, it, there was a couch to marathon training. I'm like, okay, I'm here. So they say if I start here, I can get to there. And son of a gun, just followed the program and I made it. Uh, so this is me. Finishing, the, I think it's me. Nope. No! So um, that wasn't me, and you weren't supposed to see that yet, but you know. Think, hey, there we are. This is me, my two minions, that's, uh, whoops, sorry, right here is Mac, this is Allie, they're awesome, they came to see Daddy, run the Grand Rapids Marathon, and you see right here, I've got this little orange stripe going on right there. When I was getting ready to run the race, I've never done this before, um, I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but um, I'm getting ready to run the race, and I said, put your name on your shirt. I'm like, am I going to, do I have to take it off? At some point, am I going to leave it on the side of the road? Somebody's going to pick it up so they'll know where I'm at. I don't understand why I need to put my name on my shirt. They said, just do it. You'll, you'll be thankful later. So I did it, and I'm just running down the, the pathway, and all of nowhere, people are screaming, yes, yeah, Scott, great job. You're going to make it. Like, do I know you? Like, it kind of it interrupted me at first. You know, I, This is really as fast as I run. It's not very impressive. But then people are just shouting, Scott, you're going to make it. And I'm like, I don't know why they're saying this, but eventually, slow as I am, I picked it up. Oh, they see it on my shirt, and they're encouraging me. This is awesome, right? This was great. Uh, you know, having just somebody recognizing you, recognizing who you are, and calling you by name. Dude, that's like, it can change your whole day, right? I tell you that because in the ancient world, right, as important as names are to us, in the ancient world, your name was like everything. Like, your name was your destiny. Like, this is who you are. Some of us still have throwback names like wagon maker or shoemaker or, or things like this, right, that are kind of throwback names that says this is what your people did generations ago. But we don't really have that much in our culture uh, these days, right? Most of us, in fact, uh, 
we struggle with this question. I asked my mom once, what, why did you name me Scott? And uh, her answer to that question was, well, I, I like the name and it was easy to spell. I mean, you know, doesn't really tell me who I am, right? It doesn't help that much. And uh, actually, a lot of us, if we're to be really honest, we, uh, we come to college with this question of, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? So as I try to answer that question, I went to the curator of all human knowledge, Google. <laughs> and I asked Google, Google, what does my name mean? Here's what Google told me. I, I said, oh, all-powerful and, under, and wise Google, please tell me what is my name, who am I, and what is my name? Here's what Google told me. Scott means Gaelic-speaking person. And I was confused because I don't speak Gaelic. So I said, oh, benevolent Google, please, I do not understand. And Google gave me another answer. Scott means painted warrior. I like where this is going. So if you put the two names together, Scott and Stark, here is what Google the wise says, my name means strong, painted warrior. Yeah! Awesome. But then I said, oh, Google the Great, thank you for your generosity. And Google said, oh, I'm not done. Another blessing was coming. Are you ready? Scott, according to the great wisdom of the Urban Dictionary, means this. A male friend who is extremely intelligent, funny, kind, and always there for you. They usually plan to do something better to better the world, like going into the Marines or Army or being a pastor. They are liked uh, by a lot of people, and they're usually very attractive. Oh, hail Google the wise! <laughs> wow. Well, that was fun, but quite honestly, it didn't help. We can Google it. It doesn't answer the question, who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life, right? Most of us come to Grand Valley, and if we're not asking that question out loud, we're really asking it inside. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? As we continue to look together at what it means to walk by faith, one of the key parts of this journey is discovering who God is and who we are to God. Because faith, it's not like an idea or a concept that you master, like the material in your class. Faith uh, is trust. In fact, if you were to look up the words faith and trust in the New Testament, the original text of the New Testament which was written in Greek, you'd see that they're the same base word. Like faith and trust, they're not different. They're they're the same thing. And trust is not a concept. It's something you, you live into, right? It's something you, uh, you gain from knowing someone. It's something you gain from, from knowing you. Now, I tell you all that because the story we're going to look at tonight is about a guy named Gideon. And Gideon, when we meet him in the story, he doesn't know God, not really. And he doesn't know who he is. So to help us hear, uh, excuse me, before I say that, let me mention that 
in spite of that, in spite of when we meet him, that he didn't know God and he didn't know himself, he is listed in the uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that we've been reading through and going through together. He is listed as one of those who walked by faith. And yet when we meet him, he doesn't know God and he doesn't know himself. To hear what Hebrews says about Gideon, please help me welcome Anna Lauder, who's going to share God's word with us. And what more shall I say? For I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. Great job, Anna. Awesome. Well, um, our good friend who wrote the book of uh, Hebrews did not have time to tell you about all that, but we do. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Gideon and his story. Uh, when Chris preached last week, we're going to be, uh, for those of you that need a Bible or that have your Bible, we're going to be in Joshua, uh, excuse me, Judges chapter 6 tonight. So if you want to open to that, or if you need a Bible, put up your hands and some of our friends uh, will bring you a Bible, uh, I think. There we go. Great. So if you put up your hand and you need a Bible, some of our friends will bring that to you. Uh, as it's coming in, Chris preached last week about Joshua leading God's people into the land and uh, surrounding the walls of Jericho. We are fast forwarding in the story about 200 years tonight. God's people had entered the land. The promise that God made hundreds of years ago to Abraham when he stood in that spot and he said, I will give your descendants this land as their inheritance when I make you into a great nation. That promise had been fulfilled. They had entered into the promised land of God, the inheritance of the people of Abraham. They displaced oppressive kings, removed them from the land, took possession of it. Each tribe got their own portion of the land. This is uh, not the most geographically accurate, but it is a helpful one to see on a picture. Uh, each tribe got their own section of the land. And the story that we're going to look at today, whoops, not, what, what, too far. There we go. story we're going to look at today happens right about here, right in the thick of the whole thing. But here was the problem as God's people entered the land. They stopped embracing their identity as the people of God, his special people. And it wasn't long before they started to look just like everybody else who had lived in the land before them. The book of Judges has a pattern in it, if you, if you were to read through it, and it's actually, it's a, it's a sad read, but it is an astounding read at the same time. Uh, so much parallel to our life uh, today. The book of Judges has this pattern of God's people turning away from him and turning toward the gods and those who had power in the land of the people that they lived. And God's saying, okay, if this is who you want to be, you can be that. If you want to be just like everybody else, you can. But I'm not going to be with you. 
And if you want to act just like your enemies, then I'm going to let them do, have their way with you. So when oppression would come to them, and they would, because of their own sin, when oppression would come, they would cry out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, help us! And I'll be darned if the Lord wouldn't come and save them. He'd send a judge. That's what this picture is about. A judge, which uh, for us is, you know, a guy in a robe or a lady, a woman in a robe behind a bench. But a judge in this context and in the, the culture is more like an avenger, right? It's not just a, a person who sits and thinks about things and says, this is what I think needs to happen. It's a person that takes action, does something to bring about justice. It's an avenger. And the Lord would raise up an avenger to rescue his people when they cried out to him. Gideon is one of those avengers that the Lord raised up to rescue his people. But he does not look like it when we meet him. He's not living into his name. Gideon's name means, this is so good, the hewer. The guy that like fells the tree, right? His name is the hewer or another translation which is perfect because it's like tomorrow's All Hallows Eve, right? The reaper. That's a great name. Right? That's what his name means. He is the reaper. But it's not who he was when we meet him. Gideon's life we hear the very beginning of in Judges chapter 6. Hopefully you've had a chance to turn to it. This is what God's word says. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples would invade the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when Israel cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hands of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not Worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Aphra that belonged to Joaz the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is the word of the Lord. Really? I mean, mighty warrior? It doesn't look like it. 
It looks like he's hiding. I mean, we just, let's just pull the car over a second here, and let's just take in a second how profoundly preposterous this whole scene is, right? It's profound in that even after God lays out an indictment of how his people have abandoned him, forsaken him, turned away from him, ran into the hands of the gods and the powers of the nations that had surrounded the land. They just ran right into their hands and abandoned the Lord. And yet, verse 11 says, the angel of the Lord came. God wouldn't give up. He had every right to walk away, wash his hands of this people who after everything he did for them turned their backs on God completely and yet when they cried out to him he sends an angel to announce that he's coming to rescue them again. So we see clearly in this little short brief moment the profound depths of God's grace and mercy. He just won't give up on his people. But the scene is also preposterous, right? I mean, here's Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, threshing wheat is a process. You take the grain off the stalk in the old, you know, ancient times. You put it in a basket. You shake it around till the husk comes off. You usually do that high on top of a mountain so the wind blows the husk away and then you just have the grain. You don't have to eat the grain and the, and the, uh, uh, the leaf together, right? That's better. We all agree with this, right? They would do that, but that's not what Gideon was doing. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I'm going to tell you something really profound right now, all right? So if you're taking any notes, take it out. Take out your phone. You're going to want to write this down. A wine press is for making wine. Not threshing grain. He's hiding. Afraid, just trying to scratch out a living, get enough bread for today. And the angel appears. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Because the Lord knows something about Gideon that Gideon doesn't even know yet. He knows his name. He knows who he is, even though Gideon doesn't. So in this profoundly preposterous scene, the conversation continues. Gideon says, verse 13, With all due respect, sir, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, well, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? No. The Lord has abandoned us, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and he said, you have the strength. Deliver Israel out of Midian's hand. Is it not I who sends you? With all due respect, sir, Gideon says, 
How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. What a striking contrast between what God sees and what Gideon sees. And it demonstrates that there are two needs in Gideon's life that need to be transformed in order to link the two, this disparity between how God, what God sees and what Gideon sees. Two things that he needs to be transformed to become and to live into who he is, God is calling him to be. The first one, Gideon needs to know God. Because he doesn't know the Lord. Not really. He's heard about the Lord. He knew some of the stories of God's delivering of Israel from Egypt, but that's stories that old ladies tell you. What difference does that make now? Look around. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? The angel of God is literally standing and staring him in the face, and he can't recognize him. He doesn't know. I mean, obviously Gideon was not listening when the Lord sent the prophet and told him, here's what the problem is. You've abandoned me. No, all Gideon could see is that his life sucked and the Lord didn't care. And I want to just pull over again, pull the car over a second, and I wonder if any of you can relate to that. I mean, maybe you've gone to church at different points in your life Maybe you've connected like through Young Life or Youth for Christ or a great youth group back in the day and you've heard a lot about Jesus and you've heard that he can do these amazing things in people's lives, but it doesn't seem to be impacting the bad situation that you find yourself in. And that can be really tough because to know something about Christ and to not know Christ means you can get this idea in your head that God could do something about this, but God's not going to do something about this because he doesn't care. That's Gideon. God could, but he won't because he doesn't care. But the angel of the Lord has a different message. A different message than what Gideon could see. God cares. In spite of everything you've done, God has not turned his back on you. The very first words out of the angel's mouth, the Lord is with you. Gideon did not know the Lord at this point in his life, but I tell you, friends, the Lord knew Gideon. And because the Lord knew Gideon, and he knew what Gideon needed, the Lord came to him. Guys, that's the gospel right there. We have no capacity to go to God, and from our vantage point, God seems so far away sometimes, so far removed from our situation. How could we ever get to where he is, but God isn't waiting over somewhere else for us to get there. God comes near. The Lord is with you. Gideon didn't know the Lord. 
but the Lord knew Gideon and came to him. That's the first transformation that needed to happen in Gideon's life. He needed to know the Lord, so the Lord revealed himself to Gideon. The second transformation that needed to happen is that Gideon needed to know who he was. How can I save Israel? I'm the least important person in the least important family in the whole tribe. I'm a nobody. The guy whose name means reaper. He's supposed to be bad. All he can see is weakling, coward, failure. The guy, the kind of person who hides in a wine press and hopes that the Midianites don't find him. But the Lord knew Gideon better than he knew himself. The Lord calls Gideon a mighty warrior, not a hint of sarcasm, not a hint of cynicism, because it wasn't who Gideon is now that matters. It's who God was going to make Gideon. That's the key to his transformation. Three times in this short section, we hear the Lord tell him who he is. Verse 12, the Lord is with you. You will be a mighty warrior. Verse 14, you have the strength to deliver Israel. I am sending you. Verse 16, I am with you. You will defeat Midian. The presence of the Lord transforms Gideon from coward to mighty warrior. And friends, this profoundly preposterous power of the gospel does the same thing for us. The gospel tells us the profound reality of who God is, the God who comes near, the God who is for us, the God who is with us. The God who comes near to us to rescue us. But the gospel also tells us this preposterous reality of who we are. Holy. Beloved. Strong. Righteous. To walk by faith is to take one more step. One more step in the direction of God's Amazing grace. By the end of his life, Gideon had rescued his entire nation from absolute oppression under Midian. He is a national hero, probably the greatest leader in the era between Joshua and Samuel in the entire history of Israel. That's a long period of time. But when we first meet him in Judges chapter 6, he doesn't look anything like that guy. But the Lord was with Gideon. And because the Lord was with him, and he was willing to take one step of faith, often fearfully, often cautiously, but decisively, one more step of faith with God, he became one of the great leaders in the history of Israel. You know what that makes me wonder? What if we take that next step of faith and begin living one more step into our identity 
as God's children, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with his spirit, given purpose. Who knows what God may do with each person that's in this room as we continue to take one more step in the direction of God's calling on our lives. How many hungry people might be fed? How many oppressed people might be set free? How many people living in darkness may see the light of God's salvation? I mean, maybe the people who are going to help solve the world's water crisis are sitting right here. And some of you, God's going to send you over to places that are thirsty to help mobilize. But some of you, God is equipping to do good research and to develop technologies that help because that's God's call for you. Maybe the people who are going to end human trafficking are in this room. And some of you are going to go and you're going to work with people who are affected by this. But others of you are going to work in the State Department and as legislators to help bring an end to this horrendous practice. Maybe right here in this room, some of you are going to become the people who bring an end to the great disparity between people who live in wealthy school districts and people who live in impoverished school districts and you're going to figure out ways to bring together the resources so that every child has equal access and right to good quality education some of you are going to do that because you're teachers some of you are going to do that as administrators some of you are going to do that as community activists and members in your church what if right in this room God is saying the Lord is with you you will become my agents to bring transformation to the world. I have purpose for you. Just take one more step. Come with me on the journey. As we prepare, friends, to respond to this profound reality of God, the God who is near to us, who keeps coming near, who never quits coming into the preposterous reality of who we are to him. It could be, uh, I'm going to invite the band to come up as, to get prepared for that, but you know, it could be that for you, uh, you've uh, never heard that God is the God that comes near. Right? It could be that this is the first time you're hearing, wait, what is this gospel? What does it mean for, that God comes near to me? I just figured God didn't care, but my friend kept inviting me. Right? If that's you, I would invite you to take one step of faith and say, Jesus, I'm not even sure what this means, but if you're, if you're for me, I want to be with you. Right? And maybe you've been wandering from God and you, you need to get reacquainted. And you're here because you want to get reacquainted with a God who you're not sure even cares about you anymore. I tell you, on the basis of his word, the Lord is with you. Will you take one step in the direction of saying, I, I can't do this myself. I need God to lead me. For all of us, can we take one more step in the direction of God's grace, trusting that where he leads us, 
even if we can't even imagine what that could be right now, is going to be immeasurably greater than where we are right now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, you are just astounded by your word. Your word always comes to us with incredible comfort, God. And so for those of us tonight that needed to hear the word, I am with you. Let that word sink down deep and resonate in us. And for those of us, Lord, that have not uh, come to you ever wanting to know you, didn't even know that you were the kind of God who comes near, I pray for them. I pray, God, give them, the, those of us that, for whom that's true, give us the courage and the resolve to sometimes fearfully but also courageously take a step towards you and say, Jesus, if you're for me, I, I want you. I want to be with you. And God, for those of us that hear this challenge tonight, the challenge to continue to take one more step towards you and in the direction that you're leading, I pray for the courage to sometimes fearfully, sometimes cautiously, but to definitively and decisively take one more step in the direction of your calling, of becoming the men and women that you have made us to be so that your name and your fame is shined throughout the nations. We pray this in the glorious and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we all say together, amen. Let's respond to God together as we sing the song, All He Says I Am. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this. As we sing it, there's going to be a couple spots in the song where we're going to pause and just read scripture so that you can hear. From the back of the room, it's going to be on the screen. So we won't be up here. It'll be read from the back. It'll be on the screen. want you to hear who God says you are in Jesus Christ. Let's sing this out together. He whispers in my ear. He whispers in my ear and tells me that I'm fearless. He shares the melody tells me to repeat it and makes me
sing this out. I was blinded by the scales upon my eyes. I was blinded by scales upon my eyes. And he came like a light and burned up all the lights. And he set me free. He reminded me I am all he said. And so, friends, as people who know who, how profound our God is and who we are to him, let's say these words together and declare what, who we are and whose we are. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let's declare this together. Chains are broken. Chains are broken. And scales are on the floor.
sing this out. We are all, God says we are all. I'm all, he says I am. I'm all, he says I am. I'm all, he says I am. And he says, just had a lot of truth spoken over us. Another truth is that God is always with us. So who could stand against us? <laughs>